This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. This week's Parsha, Parshat Kitisa, is uh, famous for the phenomenal story, the drama of the sin of the Egel Hazahav, the golden calf, and the incredible tenacity of Moshe Rabbeinu in achieving forgiveness for the Jewish people, a forgiveness which uh, culminates in the famous Yud Gimu Midot Rachamim, Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum B'Chanun, as God expresses his uh, trait of uh, forgiving the Jewish people. And uh, this forgiveness uh, allows us to move on from the sin of the golden calf, uh, to move ahead. This week I'm not going to deal with the Parsha of the Egel Hazahav. Instead I'm going to turn our attention to some intriguing Pesukim which end the Parsha. And this is the topic of uh, Moshe's hidden face or Moshe's veil uh, which appear at the end of the Parsha. Let me read a few Pesukim. Uh, they're right from the end of the Parsha Tashavua and therefore they're uh, less known. Moshe was with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He ate no uh, bread, he drank no water, and he wrote the words of the covenant on the tablets of stone, the, the Ten Commandments. And when Moshe, by he bereaded it, Moshe, Mehar Sinai, when Moshe came down the mountain, and Moshe is carrying the Luchot of the testimony. Moshe did not know that his face was radiant, his face shone when God had spoken to him. And Aaron and all of Israel saw Moshe. And his face was radiant, it was brilliant with light. And they were terrified, they were scared to approach him. Moshe called them. First Aharon came, and all of the princes. Moshe and Moshe spoke to them. And only afterwards, all of the children of Israel came. And he commanded to the nation, everything that God had said to him, or had commanded him on Har Sinai. And when Moshe finished speaking with them, he put a mask or a veil on his face. And when Moshe would come before God to speak to him, he would take off his mask till he emerged from God. He would come and relay the command. Israel would see Moshe's face or Moshe that his skin was was shining. And he would put the mask back on until he came in to speak with him. This is the story, the story of Moshe's brilliant face, and we all are probably familiar with uh, Michelangelo's 
um, mistaken reading here, where he said Karan or Panav is not from the the, the notion of um, Karan as in a beam of light, but rather it is from the word Karanayim, horns, and therefore um, Jews are depicted with horns in in medieval art. But of course, it means Karan or Panav, not that his uh, the skin of his face had, had, had turned into horns, but rather it was shining. Moshe's brilliant face. And it certainly um, appears that it is from the speaking with God that his face has a, a certain radiance about it. And it's a radiance which initially the people find startling and frightening. Um, and, late, and, and because of this uh, difficult, difficulty of Am Yisrael in dealing with Moshe's brilliant face, brilliant shining face, he has to actually place a mask on his, on his face. He walks around with a mask, or so it would appear. And uh, when does he wear the mask, and when does he when does he take it off? So it definitely seems that the time when he he uh, removes the mask is when he speaks to God, as it says in Pasuk Lamedalad, Moshe Hashem When Moshe would come in before God to speak to him, he takes off the mask. He takes off the mask. Um, and then he would go out to speak to the people. They see his face is shining for a while. They would see his brilliantly shining face. And then he would put the mask back on. The impression from this story is that uh, Moshe walks around the camp masked. He walks around the camp with a veil on his face, shielded or shielding the people from his... Uh, from his shining face. And the one time when he sort of uh, is natural, is naturally interacting uh, without a mask, unmasked, is with God. And even if he comes out and teaches Torah to the people and they see his face shining, very soon he puts the mask back on and it would appear that that is the way he functions uh, after this. Now, how long, how long did this continue? How long did Moshe remain masked? So here's a fascinating uh, discussion in the Ibn Ezra, where the Ibn Ezra suggests, says, that this brilliant light did not leave his face until the day that he died. That is why Tvarim Perak Lamadalad says that Moshe's eyes never dimmed. The Zehu Nachon, says the Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra wants to suggest that, in fact, Moshe's um, shining face continued throughout the 40 years in the Midbar. Another option is clear, and that is that uh, Moshe, Moshe's brilliance comes from his speaking to God, his instruction by God, where God teaches the Torah to B'nai Israel. And I think it's uh, reasonable to suggest that uh, this continued all the time that Am Yisrael remained at Har Sinai and they were being actively given segments and, 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 and new mitzvot of the Torah. However, when in the second year Bnei Yisrael leave Har Sinai, stop receiving the Torah, then Moshe doesn't speak to God in that way. He isn't uh, receiving the Torah in an active sense. And after he leaves Har Sinai, maybe he stopped having this... Uh, facial radiance, this facial brilliance, and uh, therefore he could go back to walking around without a mask. Okay, that's uh, sort of an analysis of what happens here. 
Now, some of you listening might be familiar that there are very interesting midrashim um, about about Moshe and uh, where the origin of this uh, these, this shining light comes from, and why Moshe was a beneficiary of it. But I'm not going to go that route. I, I don't want to talk about that today. We have other things that we're going to discuss. I have to be honest when I think of Moshe Rabbeinu, the great leader Moshe, who by all means is somebody we we consider to be a, a unbelievable exemplary leader. When I think of a national leader um, wearing a mask, I think it's a very frightening prospect. To think that... Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the person who is to manage the nation, Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, who teaches the people Torah, walks around with his face totally covered up. You never even see his face. Um, is a is a frightening idea, and I wonder what to do with it. It's it's difficult to know exactly how to how to handle this, and, and what exactly does it mean? My first initial thought as I uh, look at this story is to be reminded of the of the of the seventh principle of the Rambam, where the Rambam tells us in his sixth principle that there is such a phenomenon called prophecy, but in his seventh principle, the Rambam says that there is a special category called the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moses' prophecy was in a different league in a different category to any other prophets. And of course, this is something that we see in many, many places in the Torah. We see it, uh, for example, already in in this week's Parashat Shavuah, where Moshe Rabbeinu uh, talks to God and it says, Hashem Moshe panim el panim. That God speaks to Moshe face to face, Ka'asher yidaber ishel re'ehu. Face to face like a man speaks with his friends. Uh, this sense that Moshe has a certain directness with God. And this is taken even to a deeper level, a higher level, in Parshat uh, Bahalotcha, in the story where, if you recall, Miriam talks against uh, Moshe. Miriam, Moshe's sister, says something uh, critical about his prophecy. And there God comes to Moshe's defense and he says, Shimu Nadvarai, listen to my words, all other prophets see God in a vision. God says, I will appear to, to, to other Nevi'im in a vision, in a dream, but Lochain Avdi Moshe, that is not true about my servant Moshe, Bechol Beitin Emanhu. He is loyal, he is trustworthy throughout my house. And it's not clear what God means by his house. And then he uses an interesting phrase, Pe el pe adaberbo, I speak to him mouth to mouth, I speak to him with no riddles, with no visions, God, uh, Moshe sees the image of God why didn't you why weren't you fearful of talking against Moshe? In other words, what God is saying about Moshe is that Moshe is able to speak to God Panim al Panim, face to face, or even more intimate, pe'el pe, mouth to mouth. He sees no 
no imagery, no riddles. He, spe- he speaks to God directly. Now I should uh, put this in a certain framework, which is that in, in again, back to our parashat Shavuah, Kitisa, we have the famous uh, line in Kitisa where Moshe is put in the Nikrat Atzur. He is put in the nook in the rock and God says uh, that you are not allowed to see my face. You should not see my face. Nobody can see my face and live, but you will see my back. And this is quite enigmatic because it follows exactly the point where Moshe speaks to God face to face. It appears that Moshe can somehow communicate. Dibor can be panim el panim, but seeing is not the same as speaking. God cannot see God, cannot see God's face, he can talk God's face. Now, of course, I'm not really clear as to what these uh, this technical language means. But I think the Torah is telling us quite clearly that Moshe's prophecy is in a different league, in a different dimension to any other prophet. And it is the Rambam who takes this, as I mentioned, in the seventh principle of faith, to a very clear degree. He mentions this also in uh, the laws are the fundamentals of Torah in the seventh chapter, where he describes uh, different levels of prophecy. And uh, he tells us a few differences between Moshe and other prophets. For example, that other prophets always go into some sort of uh, state of slumber or sleep or some sort of trance when they get to prophecy. But Moshe can always have prophecy while he's in full state of consciousness. All other prophets are spoken to by some medium of an angel. Whereas uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is not that way. Uh, all other Nevi'im receive a medium through uh, some sort of imagery or riddle. Moshe Rabbeinu can actually get verbal communication. He can speak words. He can hear words from God. And uh, a further difference. All other Nevi'im, when they receive Nevu'ah, they start quaking. They start shaking. Their bodies cannot quite cope with the with this um, spiritual communication. Moshe Rabbeinu can act normally, can stand normally, can function normally when he speaks to God. And last of all is the fact that all Nevi'im cannot instigate prophecy. They can't initiate a conversation with God. They get prophecy when God decides they will receive it. However, Moshe Rabbeinu could, he had an open line. He could call God. He could be in communication with God whenever he liked. Um, and the the Rambam in, in this description even goes further. And his last line is, um, he describe his last line. We'll, we'll get to the total thing, but he says, um, his mind was constantly attached to God and the splendor never left him and his face radiated and he was sanctified like an angel. Like an angel. And this the Rambam talks about when he when he discusses the notion that Moshe was constantly available, was constantly on call, was constantly on alert for God. He was absolutely there for God. Um, in fact, to explain this, uh, or, or rather as an outgrowth of this, the Rambam mentions the famous uh, Midrash, 
based on the story in in Bamidbar, chapter 12, that uh, Moshe separated from Zipporah, his wife, that uh, he didn't uh, live a normal marital life because he had to constantly be available for God. He didn't really have a relationship with his wife. He abandoned that at a certain stage because uh, the priorities of, of prophecy and the priorities of national leadership made him totally dedicated to to that relationship. Wow, this is quite something to say. Um, what are we? Where has this taken us? What what is this? Uh, what what are we saying here? Well, I think it's it's pretty clear that when we look at this story, when we look at the story of the, of the veil, and we see Moshe Rabbeinu coming down with this face shining brilliantly so much that people are startled and shocked and can't look at him. Moshe looks like an angel. Moshe is constantly available for God. He has an open line with God. If a person um, talks to some people in a veiled state and to somebody else in an unveiled state, we understand that he is most natural, most comfortable in an, in an unveiled state. And uh, that is his natural state of being. And if I had to make a, some conclusion, I would, I would argue that at the end of Parsha Kitisa, Moshe Rabbeinu has reached a point where he's more comfortable with God than with people. With God, he feels natural. With, with God, God shares his sense of uh, spirituality. With God, he feels like he can be himself. With the people, though, there is something artificial. There's some separation that needs to be made. Somehow Moshe is out of his comfort zone. And this is quite amazing. Uh, we certainly will be able to see, and we will talk about it in a moment, that Moshe Rabbeinu has been on an upward gradient, an upward spiritual climb from his early beginnings in the in the first few chapters of Shevish Shemot until he reaches this very high point at the uh, culmination of, of the book of Shemot, where he is at this phenomenally high spiritual level. Now, one might ask the question, why does Moshe need this phenomenal spiritual level? Why does he need to be more comfortable with God than with man? And uh, I think the Rambam makes this very clear as to why this has to be. Um, in order to facilitate Matan Torah, in order to facilitate the giving of Torah, a very unique level of prophecy needs to exist. As we said, most prophets see a, a vision or see an image. They see a riddle and they have to decode it, but they decode it in their own language and in their own style. However, that is not enough for the transmission of Torah. Torah needs to be transmitted by dictation. To communicate the Torah, uh, what is necessitated is absolute clarity, so that the actual words of God will not be Moshe's words, but they will be God's words. And this the Rambam says very clearly, Nachmanides, uh, the Ramban, in his introduction to the Torah, says the same thing, that Moshe, when he received the Torah, was like a secretary taking dictation. Every single word was God's words, but in order to get that clarity of vision, in order to get that degree, that high level of communication, one has to be on a phenomenally high level of prophecy. And it would appear that the only person in history who ever had this level was Moshe himself. He was the only one of all the prophets that we know of who got this very, very uh, clear 
verbal dictation. He was the only one who was capable of it. There never will be any other prophet like that, as we say in Yigdal. And and hence Moshe had to read this, reach this incredible standard of prophecy in order to facilitate the giving and transmission of uh, the Torah. So uh, this is the image that comes to us at the end of the parasha as Moshe Rabbeinu brings down the second Nuchod. And let me, let me add that uh, when Moshe is invited up the mountain, God says, You hew the stones for the second tablets. But, God says, I will write on the tablets of stone the words which were on the first tablets which you broke. However, in the Pesukim that we quoted before, um, the Pesukim at the end of chapter 34, it, uh, I'm dealing with Perak Lamadalad, Pasuk Chafchet, it says, or even starting in Chavzayin from Shvi'i, Vayom Hashem Moshe, K'tav L'chat HaDvarim Ha'ela, you write it down. And it mentions it again, Vayichtov Al-Aluchot HaDivrei HaBrit HaSeret HaDvarim, it sounds like, that Moshe actually wrote the second Luchot. Moshe is an active partner in the transmission of Torah, and it would appear that uh, this role is what gives him his phenomenal brilliance and his uh, partnership with Hashem. Okay, now what, do, now what exactly do we do with this image of Moshe? And I'd like to, in the next few minutes, try and engage in something of a description of Moshe's biography. You know, sometimes we don't really think of biblical characters. We, we examine them and we characterize them in almost a static static manner. But uh, my belief is that many, many biblical characters actually have a, a, a biography, a changing biography, transformations, growth, changes, challenges, obstacles, triumphs, failures. And I certainly think this is true for Moshe Rabbeinu. And I'd like to spend a few minutes charting out some of the aspects of Moshe's biography and to try and see where this image at the end of chapter 34 here, where it fits into this biography. We're going to begin at the very start. Shemot Perek Bet. Shemot Perek Bet, we meet the young Moshe Rabbeinu. We won't deal with uh, his, his uh, infancy. But uh, as we read in Shemot, Perek Bet, Vayigdal HaYeled, the child grows up, uh, sorry, Vayigdal Moshe, it was in those days, Moshe grew up, and he goes, Vayitzelechav, he goes out to his brothers, Vayar Basivlotam, he sees their suffering, Vayarish Mitzri Meachav, we all know the scene, he goes out, he shows an interest in his brothers, and he sees an Egyptian man, Hitting a Jewish, ma- uh, a uh, an Ivri, a Hebrew man, and he intervenes. And we remember Perak Bet, where in the first story, he kills the Egyptians, the Egyptian who had who had hit the Jew. He kills him. In the second story, he tries to interview between two Jews fighting, and in the third story of the chapter, by the wellside in Midian, he intervenes between uh, some boys who are taunting and giving the daughters of Yitro a hard time by the wellside, not letting them uh, draw the water, Moshe intervenes. 
As Nechamalevitz has pointed out in her fabulous article on this, we see a, a paradigm here of Moshe. Each story represents a different, um, a different increment, but they all have the same idea. One story is a story about a Jew and a non-Jew, the other about two Jews, and the third story about non-Jew and non-Jew, but they all share the same feature, which is Moshe Rabbeinu, who cannot see injustice, Moshe Rabbeinu, who cannot see people being picked on, Moshe Rabbeinu, who always um, takes up the case of the underdog, of the sufferer, of the victim, and Moshe Rabbeinu, who is a fearless fighter against injustice, always intervenes, even after he has the experience of being in trouble in Egypt and fleeing from the law, you'd think he wouldn't get involved. No, Moshe Rabbeinu feels an inexorable pull. He feels that he cannot stand by and watch injustice and he gets involved, even in Midian. This is a freedom fighter. This is a courageous fighter for justice. And uh, this sense of Moshe Rabbeinu who is motivated by human suffering, by humanity. Moshe Rabbeinu, the activist, that is our first snapshot of the young Moshe Rabbeinu. And indeed, it would seem obvious that this is why God chooses him. God's role, God's mission, so to speak, is to take the people out from suffering, and who could be better than Moshe Rabbeinu, than Moshe, the freedom fighter, Moshe, the political activist, Moshe, who cannot stand um, oppression. That's our first snapshot. However, very soon, as we've mentioned in earlier Shiorim, Moshe's role is transformed and Moshe becomes the miracle maker. Moshe uh, becomes the diplomat, engaging in high diplomacy with uh, Pharaoh. And uh, throughout the chapters, chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, of Sefer Shemot, he is liaising not with the people, but rather with uh, the Egyptian government. And ten times he is uh, lifting up his staff or activating these uh, plagues. And this continues as we leave Egypt with Moshe at our helm, and it comes to some sort of crescendo at the Yamsuf, at the Red Sea, where we all remember the famous line, Vaya Yisrael the people um, feared God, they believed in God, they believed in God and with Moshe his servant, and it would seem like Moshe's servant, as much as there is God's mighty hand, the hand which they keep on seeing is the hand of stretch out your hand, it's Moshe's hand which is activating, it is Moshe Avdo. Moshe is God's servant. Moshe is God's instrument. When they need something, they try cry to God via Moshe. Moshe certainly has almost a certainly a level of a, of a prophet, a level of a miracle maker. But if I want to make it sound a little more um, risque, I would say Moshe is almost like a demigod. Um, after all, in this week's parsha, they try and replace Moshe with a god. The Egel Hazahav, Moshe has this phenomenally high status. So it's fascinating how Moshe, who is this earthy people person at the beginning of his biography in chapter 2, already turns by chapter 14 or 15 in, in Shemot to this miracle maker who is, who is somewhere in between uh, the Jewish people and God. However, 
one should add that Moshe still has the common touch. And we all recall chapter 18, Perikud Chet, where Yitro watches Moshe judging the people. And there is a long line of people. And, um, and what are they coming to? To talk to him about? It says, Vayeshe Moshe Lishpote Ta'am. Moshe sits to judge the people. And what is he hearing about? He's hearing about all their petty squabbles. He's hearing about this one who, I don't know, this one whose tent is too close to the other person's tent, or this person whose animal um, ate, uh, I don't know, ate the food of, of another person. He's hearing all the petty squabbles, uh, the marital disputes, the disputes about property and rights, the insults. He's engaged in, in, in mediation, in marital counseling, in judging. But Moshe Rabbeinu sits and listens to everybody's problems and he is therefore grounded and connected and and very much at one with the nation. Well, that's true until Yitro comes to the camp. However, in Peret Yudchet, Yitro turns around and says to him, It is not good what you are going to do. What you're going to, what you, what you are doing. You're going to burn out. It's not good for you. You're so busy, you cannot um, deliver appropriate justice to this people. And you're going to burn out. And therefore, we create a system of judges. You're going to create a system of Sare Alafim, Sare Me'ot, Sare Chamishim, Sare Asarot. Officers of a thousands, officers of hundreds, officers of fifties, officers of tens, and only the most difficult cases will be brought to Moshe. Now this is exceptional because Moshe is now not going to burn out, and the people are going to have much freer access to consultations, mediations, and law. But for Moshe, Moshe loses out on something critical. Moshe loses out on his uh, contact with the people. And uh, immediately after the Pasha of Yitro, we see Moshe engaged in the drama of Ma'amad Har Sinai, of, of the revelation at Sinai. And there are even some opinions that the voice, the sound of the voice that the people heard from God on Mount Sinai because they could not withstand God's sound was actually Moshe's voice amplified. Moshe goes up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights and which human being can survive that experience without food and without water. And Moshe comes down, as the Ramam says, when it's Kadesh Kamalachim, separating from his wife, totally at comfortable with God, but totally distanced from the people. Now, on the one hand, you could see this as a certain tragedy. A tragedy that we've lost our, our leader who has something in common with the average man, with the rank and file, and on the one hand, you could see it as a, as a tragedy, as a loss. On the other hand, you can see it as a huge gain. Because obviously we now have our communicator with God. We now have somebody who can actually transmit the Torah. And without Moshe Rabbeinu, we would have no Torah. And therefore, maybe it is good for us to gain our Torah and to lose a leader who will be able to be on the level of the common people. Maybe other people can do that role. I would take it even further. In this week's parasha, Kitisa, much of the parasha is taken up by Moshe, vociferously, fiercely, 
tenaciously arguing with God on behalf of the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu loses none of his compassion for the people, and it is only, it is, it is only a human being on, on the level of Moshe Rabbeinu who can talk to God, panim el panim, face to face. Only somebody of that stature, only somebody of that level, can debate with God, can play, how should I say it, play hardball with God. By Achal Moshe says Chazal, Moshe implored God, Moshe fought with God. He, as if to say, took hold of God's garment and said, I will not let you go until you forgive the people. In this week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu engages in a valiant struggle to defend the Jewish people and to allow the nation to continue after the terrible sin of the Ega Hazahav. And no one could do this other than Moshe. And Moshe could not do it unless he was at this incredibly supreme level of prophecy. So by the end of Sefer Shemot, we find ourselves with Moshe at this incredibly high level. But uh, as I said before, have we lost Moshe as a leader? There is a an image throughout Sefer Bamidbar, an image of Moshe um, in many many situations of crisis. Uh, in the, in the in the story of the Maraglim, in the story of the um, the spies, when everything goes wrong in the spies and the people say that they want to appoint a different leader and go back to Egypt, how does Moshe react? Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces. And this repeats itself in the crisis of Korach, in the rebellion of Korach, where when Korach confronts Moshe, Moshe heard and he fell on his face. And this is true in Bamidba, Perek Tetzayin, both in Pasuk Dalad and in Pasuk Chafet, Moshe keeps on falling onto his face. I've always wondered what does that mean? When Moshe falls on his face in every single crisis situation in Sefer Bamidbar, what is he doing? One option is that he could be praying, be falling on his face in prayer to plead for mercy for the Jewish people. And it is certainly true that in the case of the spies, the Maraglim, Moshe once again takes up the mantle of prayer and saves the people. But I have to say, I don't know. I wonder if Ayyipol Panav is a sense of desperation of Moshe, as if Moshe says, God, get me away from this people. I can't cope with their petty issues. Why are they concerned with, with, with small-minded things when they could be concerned with great things? It's almost Ayyipol Panav. Is he giving up on the people? Ayyipol Panav that Moshe falls on his face. One thing I know, when somebody falls on their face, they are not facing the people. It's almost as if sometimes in Sefer Bamidbar, Moshe um, gives up. And of course, the primary example of this is in Bamidbar Perak Yud Aleph, in the story of Kivrota Ta'ava, in chapter 11 of Bamidbar, where Moshe simply turns around to God and says, I, I can't cope anymore. I can't cope as a leader. This is too much. So what does this mean? Does this mean that Moshe is so comfortable with God that he has abandoned his people? 
So I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. And and I, I don't think it's possible for Am Yisrael to have gone through the 40 years in the wilderness, or at least the last 38 or 39 years of the wilderness, without any sort of leadership. I think it's practically impossible that Moshe Rabbeinu would be in such a state of uh, dislocation that he was actually ignoring the people, totally removed from them, and unable to communicate with the nation. In fact, we see Moshe Rabbeinu throughout Sefer Bamidbar as enormously responsive. If we take the story of the Benot Salafchad, the daughters of Salafchad there, he responds exceptionally, sensitively, to a new situation, and he knows exactly how to cope with it. And there are other situations too in which Moshe exhibits leadership. Moshe exhibits tremendous insight throughout Sefer Devarim, to say that Moshe Rabbeinu is still up in the heavens, never quite came down from Har Sinai, is unable to face the people, uh, maybe there are certain strands of that in Sefer Bamidbar, but I'm not sure it represents the entire picture. I would like to um, take one idea which starts in this week's parsha. And to finish us off in Parashat Baalotcha, in Bamibah chapter, chapter 11. And to finish with this idea, because maybe it will be able to give us some way to see Moshe as coming down from the peak of Har Sinai, actually re-entering the nation. In this week's Parashat Shavua, in chapter 33, we see God tremendously angry and removed from the nation. And the symbol of this is Moshe's tent. It says in chapter 33, verse 7, And Moshe took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, very distant from the camp, and he called it his own tent. He called it the tent of meeting. And anybody who sought God would go to this tent, which was outside the camp. It mentions all the time that it's outside the camp. And whenever Moshe would go out to the tent, all the nation would stand and they would all stand at the entrance to their tent and watch Moshe go to his tent. And when he got there, the cloud would come down and stand at the entrance to the tent as God would talk to Moshe. And all the people would see the cloud come down and would bow at the entrance to their tents. There is clearly a play here on everybody standing at the entrance to their tent and God standing at the entrance to Moshe's tent. But Moshe's tent is pitched far out the camp. And the sense is that God is with Moshe outside the camp and the people are in a camp devoid of God and devoid of Moshe. Once again, this um, emphasizes the theory that we've, we've established throughout this class of Moshe along with God. Moshe somehow communicating with God. God, this is before the Mishkan, God talks to the people in Moshe's tent or next to Moshe's tent. And the people have no Moshe. And God is removed from them because God is upset, God is angry, God is, is in a state of uh, removal or separation from the people in the wake of the Golden Calf episode. However, as we said, Moshe patches up the relationship and we move ahead. And as we move away from Har Sinai, Bamidbar chapter 11 describes yet another situation in which the people disappoint God and uh, Moshe goes into crisis because he can't cope with, with the nation's small-mindedness. However, HaKadosh Baruch Hu helps Moshe and he appoints an, a, a leadership to assist Moshe. He appoints 70 elders. 
And these 70 elders all receive some of Moshe's prophecy, as if he has a peer group, as if Moshe has a group of people who understand his prophecy, as if Moshe has people who can share in his experience of what it is to talk to God, or maybe what it is to be receiving God's call, God's message, God's instructions. And they are going to share the burden of, of leadership. It says there in Bamidbar chapter 11, And God said to Moshe, Esfali shivim Israel, Gather me 70 people from the elders of Israel. And what are they going to do? They will stand around the tent. They will stand with you at the tent, at the Ohel Mo'ed. And we wonder, is this the Ohel Mo'ed, Moshe's tent? Or is it the Ohel Mo'ed, the Mishkan? I will come down and speak with you. It's so reminiscent of Shemot Periklamet Gimel. And some of the spirits, which is yours, will be transplanted to them, the Samti Alehem, I will place it on them, and thereby, the Nasu Itchab Masaha'am. They will carry together with you the burden of the people, Veloti Sa'ata, the Vadecha. It's almost as if Moshe has a support group of people who understand what it is to speak to God, but what are they going to do with this support group? And here I want to relate to one pasuk, and I'm going to take a reading from uh, Rav Moshe Lechenstein from his book, Tzir Vatzon. And we haven't got time to do a deep analysis of Bamidba Yudalaf, but I will simply notice one pasuk here. After the whole episode where these 70 men get prophecy, there is one line, and it says like this, Vayasef Moshe alamachaneh hu vizikne Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu has just prophesied along with the 70 people, and where do they prophesy? It says, Svivota Ohel, they stand around the tent, and the impression is that this tent is not in the Machaneh, whether it is in the Machaneh Shechina, in the epicenter of the camp, or whether it is outside the camp is not clear, but it is clear they are Svivota Ohel, around the tent, and the Machaneh is not here, because we have Eldad Umeidad Mitnabimba Machaneh. In other words, these 70 people are by the tent, but the tent is not fully in the camp. However, at the end of the story, it says, Vayasef Moshe Lamachaneh, Moshe comes back to the camp, who visits Israel. It is almost as if we could tell the story this way. Moshe Rabbeinu, the great prophet, has gone this incredible journey to the heights, to the dizzying heights of prophecy, to the dizzying heights, to the apex of Mount Sinai in order to receive the Torah. Moshe is comfortable with God, God is comfortable with Moshe. Moshe is unveiled with God, he talks with him freely. But it is time for Moshe to come back to his people. Moshe cannot hide his face forever. And therefore, it is too difficult for Moshe to come down by himself. God appoints 70 people, Ziknei Israel, who also can experience prophecy, albeit not on Moshe's level, not on such a high level, but they are 70 prophets, and they act as a support group to bring Moshe back to the camp. They say, yes, we also experience God, but we also understand that there is a nation which needs to be led. There is a nation with all their, sometimes their silliness, with all their seriousness, with all their big questions, with all their little questions, with their, with their belief and their passion, and also their nonsenses. And Moshe Rabbeinu, we are going to bring you back 
away from your communion with God, away from your lonely tent, and we're going to bring you and your tent back into the center of the camp so that you can rejoin the people. Because Bamiba chapter 11 transpires the moment after they have left Mount Sinai. While at Mount Sinai, indeed, Moshe Rabbeinu's face shines. Moshe Rabbeinu is an, an abnormal, almost non-human level where he communicates with God. But as we move away from Harsinai towards the earthiness, towards the involvement in life that is Eretz Yisrael, as we go further away from Sinai and closer to our national existence as, a, as an independent nation in our own country, Moshe Rabbeinu has to take that Torah, that prophecy, and apply it to here and now problems, apply it to um, the way that we have to not only learn Torah and receive Torah, but the way we have to live Torah. And the 70 elders, Vayasef, Vayasef Moshe Lemachaneh, Moshe comes back to the camp, Huvazikne Israel. Moshe ascends to the heights of Sinai, but eventually he comes back down in order to take his place as the leader, leader of the nation, not only the lawgiver, not only the great prophet, but um, not only Moshe Rabbeinu, but actually Moshe, the great leader, Moshe, the leader of the Jewish people, um, as he leads us all the way to the promised land. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.